Thank you, brother. Great job as always. Uh, truly appreciate your ministry, man, leading us in the presence of God through praise and worship. That song reminds me of a verse I read in my quiet time this morning. I just want to read it to you before we get started. It's from Ephesians chapter number 2, starting with verse number 1. Listen to what the Bible says. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Somebody say amen right there. We were once dead in trespasses and sins, had no hope and were without God in this world. And the Bible says he quickened us. He made us alive. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now I don't know about you, but that describes me pre-Jesus. That describes who I was, what I was doing, the direction I was heading. I was walking according to the course of this world, and the same spirit that now dwells in the children of disobedience was in me. Then it says in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Verse 6 says, And hath raised us up together. Now watch this. And made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This means we went from death to life. And now God sees our salvation so complete. He already views us as being seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And what a blessing that truly is for the child of God. He says then in verse number uh, 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness to usward through Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, for millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of years to come, we're continually going to be learning more about God's amazing grace. And folks, that's a reason to praise him. And we will praise him throughout all eternity. You're never going to exhaust the goodness and the grace of God. There's always going to be something new to learn about him, even in the ages to come. So, like the song said, we will sing his praise forevermore. Amen? Thank you, brother, for that. Great job as always. First Corinthians chapter number 12 is really what we're going to be looking at tonight, but I just had to share that with you. It's amazing how the Lord gives you just what you need when you need it, and he gave me that this morning, and uh, then you sang that tonight. just blesses my heart. First Corinthians 12, I think last week we got down to verse number 14. Do you realize that for the last few weeks, we found out, according to the truth of the Word of God, that we are a part of of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm talking about for those of you who have been blood-bought and born again, those of you who have trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, you are a part of the church. And Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12, he describes the church as a body, and that makes perfect sense to me. The analogy he uses is perfect. I mean, for according to my understanding, he was a master teacher, and by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God gives us what we need so that we might understand what he is doing through his body. And it's his body. It's not my body. It's not your body. We're just a part of it. We're a part of the many members that make up the one body. Now, if you're here tonight and you've placed your trust in Jesus, you are a part of the body. If you believe it, say amen. 
That's for each and every one of us. And if you're here tonight and you've not yet made Christ Lord, you've not yet trusted in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, I've got great news for you. The same Jesus who has saved me can and will save you. You too can be a part of the body. And there's a lot of exciting things about being part of the body. Man, that's about the most exciting news that I've ever heard after you really begin to realize what God's Word says concerning the church, concerning the body of Christ. It's very exciting for a lot of reasons, but I want to give you three tonight before we go any further. First of all, being a part of the body um, means that Jesus uses His body to accomplish His work in the world. That means God works on you, God works in you, and God works through you to accomplish His good will and purpose. And I can promise you this, there's absolutely nothing more blessed than when you know God is doing His work in your life. Man, it's, 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 it's truly um, eye-opening, life-changing, and it's exciting to be used of the Lord. And that's what happens when you are a part of His body, for it's through His body He does His work. Not only does he do his work through his body in this world, but the, the, the second thing that's so exciting about being a part of the body is that the body's eternal. It never ends. This is something that, that we can hold to and hope in. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, says something that you'll all be familiar with, I'm sure. I'm not going to flip over there tonight for lack of time, but in Matthew 16 and verse number 18, he says something to Peter that you'll remember. Uh, Jesus asked his disciples a very important question in Matthew 16. He first of all says, who do men say that I am? And really what he was saying is, guys, when you're out in, the, in this community, when you're out among the people, what are the people saying about me? And they said, well, Lord, some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus then asked them a very pointed and important question that they needed to answer and we need to answer. He asked them, he said, well, who do you say that I am? See, it really doesn't matter what everybody else says about Jesus. Who do you say he is? Personally, individually, is Jesus Lord of your life? You may look at someone else and say, oh, look, I know that, that guy, he knows Jesus. Or, or, or this, this lady here, I know she knows Jesus. Or this person here, she know, grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or uncle or aunt or cousins or brother, they know Jesus. It don't really matter to you what they say about Jesus. What do you say about Jesus? And that's the question Jesus asks his disciples. And Peter comes back and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says this, he says, Peter... Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Really what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, you didn't get this by, supernatural, by natural means. This didn't come by the flesh. You got this by supernatural means. God has given you something that's going to be life-changing for you and for everybody else. Because in the next verse he says, And upon this rock, this statement of faith, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's what I'm going to build my church upon. And then he says this, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know about you, but it's exciting for me to think that I'm a part of the body of Christ and the body of Christ is eternal. It will never be conquered. It will never be overcome. 
I'm telling you that in the world that we live in, it's a very dark place and things sometimes look very bleak for the church. But I've got great news for you. Listen to me. I've read the back of the book and I know who wins. The church will never be conquered. Not even by the forces of dark darkness, Satan himself and the demons of hell will never conquer the church. That's what Jesus said. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now let me tell you, say something to you folks. We should respect the power of Satan. He does have power. It's real. But you don't have to fear the power of Satan. Why? Because there's never going to be a time that Satan will overcome and conquer the church. Again, we know who wins. We know what the Bible promises. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We're on the winning side. And I'm going to tell you something. It's exciting to be on the winning side. People like being on the winning side. Let me tell you how I know this because I'm an Alabama fan. That's how I know it. Now, I'm not an Alabama fan because I went to the University of Alabama. I didn't. I'm, a, I'm an Alabama fan because my dad was an Alabama fan. And my grandpa was an Alabama fan. And I was raised to be an Alabama fan. I can remember some very happy childhood memories sitting around with my dad and my grandpa watching football. My dad, my brothers, my grandpa, my uncles, we'd all be sitting around watching football together. And that's some of my happiest times growing up. I love those times. But I, so I've been an Alabama fan since I was knee high of the grasshopper. I mean, I've grown up as an I was raised right, brothers and sisters. <laughs> and so, all that time, I was a I was a fan, but it wasn't always easy being a fan. Matter of fact, in the late nineties and early two thousands, they wasn't a whole lot to be a fan about. We went through some pretty lean years. Some of you may remember that. wasn't a whole lot to cheer about. And then everything changed when Nick Saban came on the scene. And since he's been the coach at Alabama, the head coach, we've won six national titles, eight SEC championships, and have been pretty much dominant over all of college football. So much so, I got tickled uh, just last week. I was listening to a sports talk show, and there was these people calling in wanting to fire Nick Saban, and I thought, oh my gosh. I cannot believe the standard that Alabama football has rose to because now we've got a great football team, just lost two close ball games. We've got a great team. It's just not up to the standard that everybody's used to. And simply because they've lost two games, they're ready to clear house and, and start all over again. I think, my goodness. There was a time what, years ago when I was a fan that I would have given anything to be able to win 10, 10 ball games in a season. And, and, and if everything goes as planned, we'll probably win 10 ball games this year. But that's just amazing to me how things have changed. Let me tell you what I saw when Nick Saban started winning all in ball games at the University of Alabama. People that never used to be fans became fans. I mean, you go everywhere, there'd be people with Alabama hats on that never wore before. Why? Because everybody likes to be on the winning side. Don't they? Now, listen to me. Who wins on Saturday in a college football game? You need to know that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Now, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching it. I think it's the greatest game that's ever been created. I love the sport of football. 
Football is a great sport, it's a great hobby, but it's a terrible God. It shouldn't be worshipped. And if who wins or loses on Saturday completely ruins your next week, you've got your priorities seriously out of whack. Amen? So I'm just telling you that to say it don't really matter about who you cheer for for a college football team, even though people do like to be on the winning side. But I'll tell you what does matter. You better make sure you're on the winning side when it comes to spiritual matters, eternal matters. You better make sure that you are a part of the church as far as eternity is concerned because only the church is eternal or will have eternal life. We learned Sunday that all of us are eternal, uh, but not all of us will have eternal life. <laughs> the church has eternal life. And so, folks, I want you to know we're on the winning side. We've read the back of the book. I see what the Bible has promised. And I'm thankful tonight that I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm thankful tonight that the body is loving. The body is serving. The body is moving. The body is shining. And I'm so glad that God by His grace has allowed me to be a part of what He is doing in this earth. And what He does, He does through His body. Can you say amen? So that's a good thing. It's exciting to be a part of the body of Christ. It's exciting to be on the winning side. We found out last week the body manifests Jesus. Jesus shows the world who he is through his body. The body serves Jesus, right? He's the head. We are the body. We'll talk more about that tonight. And we found out last week the body is empowered by the precious Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God baptizes every believer and, listen, gives us the gifts we need, enables us to do what God has saved us to do inside his body. Oh, that's true. Tonight, I want to talk to you about diversity. That's the word that we're going to be using that I want you to be thinking about. Let me give you something, a quote from Dr. Warren Wiersbe concerning the diversity that's in the church that we find here in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, unity without diversity would produce uniformity. And uniformity almost always produces death. That is so good. Do you know that God does not want uniformity in his body? If you're not like everybody else, that's okay. As a matter of fact, that's a good thing. And, and to be honest with you, for a long time, it, 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 for, for, it took me a while to figure that out. Especially as a pastor. Because there were certain people that I looked up to. And I wanted to minister like them. And I wanted to serve like them. And I wanted to preach like them. And finally the Lord got it through to me, I'm not them. I don't have the gifts they have, and they don't have the gifts I have. I'm different from they are, and they're different from me. And because we're different, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. God does not want uniformity, but he does want unity that brings about us fulfilling his purpose. And that's what 1 Corinthians 12, the rest of this chapter, is all about. Unity through diversity. The body, point number one, I'll give you three of them. The body needs different functions if it is to live and grow 
and serve. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 14, and we'll read through 20. For the body is not one member, but many. Now watch what it says. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? So let's look at this. First of all, Paul makes it clear that we should not compare and contrast ourselves with other members. There's no point in that. First of all, you need to understand we're not in a competition here. Does everybody get that? I mean, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. I really am, and I'm not as much as I used to be. Used to be, I was really bad. I mean, I was competitive about everything. Uh, and, but, but I've kind of calmed down. I've, I've cooled out on a lot of that, I guess, the older I've gotten. But, but we, we've got to understand and realize when it comes to serving in the body, when it comes to serving the Lord, this is not a competition. I'm not against you. You're not against me. We're in this together. And there are different functions through the different members that help us accomplish our purpose and goal, which is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The body of Christ fulfilling his good will and purpose. The many functions make that happen. That means each member is necessary. Regardless of what you do. Regardless of what gift you have. Paul makes that extremely clear. Each member has a function. Look there in verse number 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing... Where were the smelling? So what's he saying? Different parts, different members have different functions. Eyes are there for seeing and ears are there for hearing and noses are there for smelling. Now what he says is, if we were all just alike, if we were all an eye, what's going to happen if the body needs to hear something? Or if we were all an ear, what's going to happen if the body needs to see something? So what God has done, he's given us eyes and he's given us ears and he's given us noses so that when we need to see something, we can see it. When we need to hear something, we can hear it. And when we need to smell something, we can smell it. That means there's different functions uh, among the members. So listen to me now. Each member is necessary to the function of the body as a whole. You need to understand that. You got to get that. Regardless of what function you have, you are important. God wants to use you in the ways that he's gifted you to make a difference in the body and to ultimately make a difference in the world. Now, he goes on to say in verse number 18, but God hath now set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. That means God has given me what he's given me because that's how he wanted me to function in the body. And God has given you what he's given you because that's how he wanted you to function in the body. Because he's the one that's ultimately in control. And he knows what direction we're headed. So he's put us all in the body right where he wants us. It's no accident that you are where you are in the body of Christ. It really isn't. 
See, I don't believe it's any accident that any of you are members at Mount Zion Baptist Church. God has put you right here for a purpose. And he's gifted you with different gifts, talents, and abilities so that you might function as many members in one body. That's what he's telling us. God has done it his way because it's his body. Now, point number two, the members promote unity through diversity. Look at verse number 21. Let's go on down through verse number 20 before we go any further. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Verse 19. And then verse 20 says, But now are they many members, yet but one body. And look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. How many of you understand a healthy human body is a body in which all the members work together according to the will of the head? Now, if you've got a body whose members try to act independently of one another, you're never going to accomplish your goal. It's never going to happen. We all have to be working in unity according to what the head wants done. That's what Paul is saying. And if we're not doing that, and we're continually working against one another, then I can promise you this, we're never going to fulfill the purpose God has saved us to fulfill. Colossians 1.18, brother, if you will please put this on the screen for me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18. Pay close attention to this verse. And he, meaning Jesus, is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So let me ask you something. Is the pastor the head of the body? Are the deacons the head of the body? Who's the head of the body? Jesus is the head of the body. He's the one who's in control of the body. He's the one, as the head, who tells the body, made up of many members, what to do. Now, that makes perfect sense to me when I think about my physical body. It's from my brain, the rest of my body gets instruction as to what needs to be done. We know that. I mean, if I have it in my mind to walk to the back door, then it's going to take all of my members working together to get there. Would you agree? And if any member starts working independently of the others, then we're going to be in a mess, or I'm going to be in a mess. Let's just say my head has it in mind to walk to the back door, but the left leg says to, to the right leg, right leg, I don't need you, I'll just do my own thing. And the right leg says, oh, well, I agree with you, left leg, I don't need you either, and I'll just do my own thing. So when they start walking, one's going one way and one's going the other way and they're not working together, am I ever going to get to the back door? Is it ever going to happen? Absolutely not. The only way it's going to happen is if each member works in concert with one another to fulfill the purpose of the head. Now, the left leg has a function, the right leg has a function, and they've got to work together to fulfill the purpose that the head tells them they need to fulfill. That's what Paul is saying concerning the body of Christ. Now, we have a purpose. And our purpose is to manifest Jesus in this world. It's to show the world who Jesus is by being his hands and his feet. Can you say amen? 
But the hands and feet's got to be working together to get the job done. It's very important that we understand it's through our diversity, our differences, that God unifies us and does the work through us. Then he says, verses 22 through verse number 24, watch this. He says, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these were to more, bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant, abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given um, more abundant honor to the part which lacks. So let, let me tell you what he's saying here. And, and this is what was happening at the church in Corinth. They all wanted to have those showy gifts, those gifts that put them in the limelight, right? And so by using this illustration, this analogy of the body, really what Paul is saying is, you know, everybody is real concerned about being the eye because the eye catches people's attention. Would you agree? I've heard it said that the eyes are the window to the soul. I can, I can I say this to you. The first thing that I really noticed about my wife was her eyes. She has pretty eyes, right? She still has pretty eyes. Now those eyes caught my attention. Now listen to me. Just because the eyes are in the limelight and caught my attention, that does not mean that they're more important than the liver. I don't see her liver, but it's important, right? Without the liver... It don't matter what the eyes do. Are you getting what I'm saying? The same is true in the body of Christ. Now there's some uncommonly parts, some parts that are not always in the limelight. In the book of Romans, he gives us another list of spiritual gifts and he talks about the gifts of ministry or the gift of helps. God has given some people the gift of ministry and praise God for them. I call them the Marthas in the body of Christ. There's a story in the Gospels about Mary and Martha. You remember? Martha was in the kitchen serving. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha actually got pretty mad at her sister. Because she wasn't helping getting everything ready because everybody was at the house and she wanted to make a good dinner and get everything right. She's in there working hard and Mary was in there sitting at the feet of Christ. Now there's something to be said about what Mary was doing. That's certainly important and Jesus made that clear. He said, look, she's chose the best part. However, I'll tell you this, without Martha working in the kitchen, nobody eats that day. You get what I'm saying? Jesus is not saying Martha wasn't important. He was just saying you missed out on the best thing. Now there was a time to be in the kitchen working, but you should have been at the time Mary was at the feet of Jesus. You should have been with her. Are you getting what I'm saying? Praise God for Martha's who are willing to work behind the scenes. Who are willing to do the work that maybe nobody else wants to do. And what Paul is saying is, don't think just because you're not in the limelight. And don't think just because nobody's seeing you do something that it's not important. Because a lot of times, that's the most important work that gets done. And it is. Nobody may see you in that children's church working with them young'uns. 
may not get a lot of credit for that, but let me tell you this. It's necessary. It's needful. And God is doing more through that than you can even imagine. And when you think those young'uns in Sunday school ain't listening and ain't hearing nothing, believe me, they are. And God can use that. And God will use that for His honor and His glory. And He'll speak to those little hearts in ways that only He can do it. So you keep on keeping on. You keep doing your thing. It don't matter that nobody else sees what's going on. I can promise you, Jesus does. I can promise you what you're doing means something. Even though it might, you may not be one of the most showy parts, I promise you this, it's important what's going on in your life, how God has gifted you. Now, he goes on to say, look at verse number 24, for our commonly parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given many more, much more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body. Now, what's he saying? The main point that he wants us to get is that God has put us together like he's put us together and wants us to know the truth that he's given right here so that there'll be no division. We cannot be, have division in the body of Christ and accomplish the purpose that we've been saved to accomplish. You, you can't. Now, if there's one thing that we need to be praying for, one thing I pray for every morning at 9 o'clock, I pray for a spirit of joy and unity in the church. Let me tell you why. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I pray for unity because, listen, a house divided against itself cannot stand, will not stand. That's what Jesus said. I pray that we be unified in our purpose. I pray that we work together by the power of the Holy Spirit and with the love of Jesus to do what we've been called to do according to the Word of God. Now, if you're looking for a good prayer to pray for your church at 9 o'clock, pray for that. Ask God for that. It's necessary. we got to have it if we're going to be effective. We don't need division. We don't need schisms. That's what he's talking about in verse number 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now look at verse 26. This is the last thing that I want you to see. God uses his body to fulfill his will through the diversity of the members. Now, now listen to what it says. And there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So what's he saying? In the body of Christ, if I'm hurting as a member of the body, that means others should hurt as well. Why? Because we care for one another. We're knit together, the book of Colossians says, by the love of Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how God has set this thing up. Listen, so if one member hurts, let's hurt with them. Let's meet them where they are. Let's encourage them. Let's edify them. Let's pray for them. And if one member rejoices, Likewise, we're to rejoice with them. 
Why? Because we're in this thing together. Years ago, I got to forget it. I think I got the wrong tooth pulled. Now the doctor made out like that pulled my tooth that both of them needed it. But I don't know that the second one or the first one needed it at all. My tooth was hurting so bad. I, I, I was preaching a revival. Um, I forget where it was at now. Uh, somewhere, might have been at uh, Pleasant Grove. I think's where it was. And the Sunday night, after I got finished preaching, my tooth started hurting. And by the next Monday evening, my whole side of my face had swelled up. I mean, it was terrible. So I went to the dentist that Tuesday. I was preaching through, I think, Wednesday or maybe Friday. I can't remember if it was a three-day or a five-day revival. And the whole side of my face was swelled up. My tooth was abscessed. So I go to the dentist on, on Monday and... um or Tuesday, whenever it was, and, and he looks at it and he says, look, I can't do anything until we get this infection taken care of. I'm going to give you some antibiotic. You take that, then come back after the, the swelling goes down, and we'll see what we can do. And by the grace of God, the Lord, uh, the Lord blessed me that week. We had a good revival service, but I, I, I'll come out looking like the elephant man. I mean, the whole side of my face swelled up, you know. And, and at the end of the week, I go back to get my tooth pulled, and it was by that time, it was hurting so bad, I couldn't tell which one was hurting. And he goes in and pulls one tooth. And then about two days later, I was hurting just as bad as I was before I went. And so he goes back and he does work on another one. Now, I don't know if he pulled the wrong tooth or not, but what I am saying is this. Listen to me now. I'm trying to tell you that when one of those teeth began hurting, every one of them was hurt. whole side of my head was hurt. And I think that's the picture Paul is painting here. When you've got one member who's hurting, it ought to affect everybody else. Why? Because we have compassion one for another. Because we love one another. So when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. Because we are the body of Christ, verse 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governance, um, governance, Diversities of tongues, all are, are all apostles, are all prophets, were all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show unto you a more excellent way. And so what he's saying is, not everybody's going to have the same office. Not everybody's going to have the same gift. But it's through this diversity that God has put in the body that brings unity so that we might accomplish his purpose. Is this making sense to you? If you got it, say I got it. So regardless of who you are, you are necessary. And God has gifted you. The Bible says he's gifted every believer with his gift, his enablement, so that you might do what he saved you to do. So you might be what he saved you to be. You are necessary. You are important regardless of what function you have. Anybody got anything, comments or questions?